The reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, to the end of the book. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because there are few and these, those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and tears are in the way. The almond trees blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes, as a whole, has two primary messages which are repeated all the way throughout. The first is found in the numerous commands to seize the day and find enjoyment. Be joyful. Take pleasure in the good things that God has graciously granted to us. Rejoice. These commands are found about a dozen times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. The second major emphasis is the command to fear God. The wisdom which Ecclesiastes advocates is to live life recognizing that God is God and we are not that the world is beyond both our comprehension and our control, and that truly enjoying the reality which exists requires both this humility and God's gracious gift of contentment. In service to these two major commands is the constant insistence that everything of this life is hevel. This is the Hebrew term, which is unfortunately rendered vanity in our ESV translation, or even less helpfully, meaningless in the NIV, 
It is literally the Hebrew word for vapor, mist, or smoke, and it is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes to denote something as temporary and fleeting. Throughout this book, the fact that everything is hevel, a fleeting mist, is given with the purpose of teaching us to fear God and teaching us to find joyful pleasure in the good gifts which He provides. Even ourselves We are hevel, here today and gone tomorrow. And again and again, Ecclesiastes insists that contemplating death is not only good for us, but it is necessary for the full enjoyment of life. Earlier in Ecclesiastes, we saw such sayings as better a funeral than a birthday party. It's good for people to contemplate their passing. And this is really going to come to a head here in the finale of Ecclesiastes, where it brings these major themes to their pinnacle through artful interplay of these topics. In the final section before the closing statement, we are given one last command to rejoice and once again warned to fear God before the passage ends in the ominous death poem, which, though somber, is meant to teach us how to maximize our joy and contentment. So let's begin. Follow along with me in chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. This is that word hevel, vapor. Many interpreters balk at the seeming paradox of the command to rejoice in life, but to remember impending death. But this has been the command of Ecclesiastes all the way through. The the solution to the lack of joyfulness in the life of God's people is to remember that dark days lie ahead, and that both the good years and the bad years are all hevel, all are temporary and fleeting. Light is sweet means that it is good to be alive. There is pleasure in seeing the sun on a bright day or to watch a sunset or a sunrise. This is just one of the many reasons we are given to rejoice. A big part of the message this morning, and I'm going to tell you straight off so that you can catch it, is that there are many pleasures of life that God has granted which we usually simply ignore. So this is where all the doom and gloom stuff comes in. Darkness and death are coming. And so as Joni Mitchell sang in Big Yellow Taxi, you don't know what you got till it's gone. The fool goes through life looking for more and fails to enjoy the countless good gifts from a loving creator who, Matthew 5.45, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so part of the wisdom here in Ecclesiastes is to learn a life of pleasure and joy through gratitude, which is a way of stating our very created purpose as humans. We are created to enjoy God. We are commanded here in verse 8 to rejoice in all the years of our life, but remembering that there are many days of darkness ahead. And so at first glance, this seems like a reference to death, but once we go through the poem, I think you will see that the long time of darkness is not death, but the slow and steady intrusion of death as we grow in age. Death intrudes as as people get older. 
It also makes this clear when it says that all of the days to come, both the bright sunny days and the many days of darkness, are hevel. Because life does not last long, especially the bright days, you should find joy and rejoice in all of your days. And so Ecclesiastes tells us that being under the sun can be a drudgery, but being under the sun can also be a joy. And it turns out it largely rests on whether or not we take the approach which is advised here in Ecclesiastes. Verse 9 continues, Rejoice, O young man in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. With the sure knowledge that life only becomes more challenging as time passes and we move relentlessly towards the darkness of death, Ecclesiastes' advice is to start early on this pathway of joyful existence before God. Even if life is hevel, read, fleeting, it need not also be a life of futility. It need not also be vanity. It does not need to be meaningless if life is embraced for what it is and joy is pursued. And so the path of joy is to be achieved by following the ways of the heart and the eyes, which is a way of saying that the young are to experience the good things in life which they desire in their hearts and they see with their eyes. Once again, this is in the strongest language affirming the goodness of God's creation and the rightness of enjoying all that is gifted to us by God in it. But even though the young person is commanded to make the most of God's good creation and gifts, this is not an invitation to hedonism. It's not an invitation to just do things our own way, but an invitation to a life lived out joyfully in the world God has made and in which God is governing. And so while pleasure and the enjoyment of life are gifts of God to be fully embraced, they must be pursued according to His order. This is another big theme of Ecclesiastes, wisdom. Wisdom is living according to the laws which exist. I was listening a little bit this morning to the Sunday school class that took place in here. It talks about, do we choose to obey the law of gravity or not? Well, no, you don't really get to choose whether gravity affects you. You get to choose how it affects you if you do something stupid, like I've done recently. But you don't get to decide whether or not you're going to obey the law of gravity. So also with the law of God. Wisdom is living according to the reality that exists. God's law will prevail whether we choose to obey or not, but we have an opportunity to live in wisdom as God calls us to it. And so the command here is to enjoy life responsibly as God has designed. It is an integrated call to enjoyment with an awareness that God has declared certain practices to be off limits. God is to be feared, and it is all for our good, all to maximize our joy This is the essence of wisdom, then. Learn to live joyfully and take pleasure according to the reality which actually exists. The design of our Creator calls for enjoyment and pleasure in the fear of the Lord. Anything else is self-destructive. We... As humans, we veer one way or the other. We, we tend towards either the self-vandalism of asceticism, which denies ourselves pleasure in God's good creation, 
Or we foolishly sabotage ourselves with the unbridled hedonism, which leads to catastrophe. We go our own way. We foolishly think we can live however we want without repercussion. This calls us to a third way, to enjoy life, to embrace all of the pleasures that God has freely given while we fear Him. These are the two main themes of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. What we do matters to God. He takes all of our human actions seriously. And therefore, we must enjoy life responsibly as God has designed, not determining for ourselves how we will do love and marriage, food, drink, sex, finances, family, relationships, and work. We enjoy these things in the and enjoy things in those areas of life the way the Bible has instructed us to, that is how we seize the day for pleasure and enjoyment, church. The following of the heart and eyes is to be carried out in the sure knowledge that there is moral accountability in the universe. God will bring you to judgment. And so joy is to be pursued within the boundaries set by God. Verse 10 then says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Hevel. To remove vexation from your heart means to set aside the stress and the negative outcomes of pursuing things which will provide no lasting gain. This has been a big part of the early chapters of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1.18 teaches that trying to gain the comprehension which would lead to control by increasing wisdom and knowledge leads to vexation. And Ecclesiastes 2.23 talks about the vexation that comes from overwork toiling away without taking time to enjoy life. In the end, they achieve only weariness. So you must remove sorrow to enjoy youth responsibly. And all all of us have some level of youth left. This is not talking about 12-year-olds and younger or 16-year-olds and younger, but it's talking about what level of vigor you still have in your body. So if you're 60 and you still walk straight and you can work, then this is still talking about you. But we're not to idolize the state of youth to the point that you dread its loss and thus fail to enjoy the gift while you have it. We must put off sorrow, put off vexation and the things that bring it. So this is the command of of the Lord. Put off these stresses, especially things that produce no lasting gain. In, In addition to avoiding the stress and sorrow of fruitless pursuits, We are commanded here to avoid folly and the painful outcomes it regularly produces. After this last year I've had, I can tell you a little something about the pain of the body and the youth lost to foolish endeavors. Youth is already fleeting. There is no need to waste it on needless stress or to lose it in stupid accidents. Life is already hevel, transient vapor, and gone all too soon. Therefore, we are commanded to make the most of it while possible. Do not let the problems and fleetingness of life spoil your youth. Do not let youth's transitory nature cause you to miss out on enjoying what you do have. And it culminates in this last teaching section of Ecclesiastes, the final part before the conclusion. It reads like a funeral dirge. All of this teaching then comes right into Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 7. This poem is one long run-on sentence 
describing the relentless move towards death. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. As with any poetic work, there are layers of meaning here. In, in the most basic, literal meaning, the poem seems to describe a funeral. It is a dark day. The strong men tremble. The workers cease. The shops are closed, and the mourners go about in the streets. The real meaning of the original poem, however, is allegorical. It describes in figurative language the impairment that comes with age. And yet this poem about aging and death is placed in a particular context here in Ecclesiastes, right after the command to enjoy life while remembering the coming days of darkness. And so in this context, the poem lists the pleasures which are being lost with youth. The pleasures of life which the young are to seize today and take advantage of. The poem gives us then, in negative illustration, a list of joys which you must take hold of today. So, so there's, a, there's a surface meaning. Look, you've, you've got people, they're working in a house or in a city. Uh, bad times are there. There's mourners in the street. Shops are boarded up. But of course, in a poem, we see this allegorical understanding of someone is, is dying. Someone is getting old. And yet, in the placement of Ecclesiastes, it's not just a one-off poem that's saying, hey, look, here's a nice poem about people getting older. Excuse me. It's not just a nice poem about people getting older, or it's not even very nice. It's kind of dark. But it's not just a poem. This is now placed in Ecclesiastes right after the young are told to take advantage of all the pleasures and joy which they have limited time to enjoy. And then the, we see someone who's losing all of these pleasures, losing these things which they could only enjoy in their youth. So it begins uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, the term to remember means far more than to simply recall. It means to engage the truth of the past with one's present practice or lifestyle. Here, the point is to live in such a way as to avoid God's judgment, which was promised in chapter 11, verse 9. 
To remember the Creator is to follow the path of wisdom and extend the joy of life through trusting Him, obeying Him, and walking with Him. We must remember God's control over life and death, His control over our success and failures, His control over our safety and well-being, and the fact that He has designed all things to take place according to the appropriate time and to accomplish His purposes in us. This is what makes it possible to find enjoyment in a world which is characterized by difficult things. The main point here is that you cannot afford to put off remembering God until you are older. You will eventually regret every moment of life lived without God at the center. Think about that for a moment. You will eventually regret every moment of life lived without God at the center. Every day we live without remembering God will result in foolish decisions which will have repercussions for the rest of your life. We must embrace the joy of a life lived in the wise order by which God created the world. God created everything good and to be enjoyed, but because of human sin, we now use things, even good things, wrongly or worship them as idols And that departure from God's design leads to brokenness in our lives. We have limited time to enjoy the pleasures God has created for us. Soon there will be days and years in which these pleasures have passed, and this is what is laid out in the rest of the imagery, the lost pleasures of life. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. Now, verses 1, 2, and 6 each begin with the term before, which provide a renewed warning to remember God while there is still an opportunity. So we're told to remember God, and then it says before, before the evil days come, verse 1. Remember to enjoy the sweet light. We read about in chapter 11, verse 7. And the pleasure of seeing the sun before the light is darkened. So before, we must remember God before these things start to pass away. Normally, clouds disperse after the rain, but here in the poem, the clouds remain, darkening the light of the sun, moon, and stars. In the Bible, this is usually apocalyptic imagery, but here it is probably describing the failure of the eyes as we grow old, the clouded vision of glaucoma or the like. And so we need to understand as we walk through the poem As with most poetry, it is highly metaphorical in nature. So I can't be overly certain or dogmatic about what it all means. There's a certain ambiguity to imagery, and it contributes to the effectiveness of the passage. So instead of spelling out the specifics of the process of aging, what it does in these metaphors is they evoke an atmosphere of decline and decay, which makes it more broadly applicable to a variety of individual experiences. We, we don't all age the exact same way. We don't all have the same parts of our body breaking down. And so there's just all this different imagery of a body breaking down, of pleasures being lost. Verse 3 and 4 we'll read next. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. 
Once capable keepers of the house, the hands tremble. The strongest muscle groups, the, the legs and the back are bent. Probably the easiest metaphor to nail down here is the grinders which have ceased to chew because they are few. Mental acuity is dimmed, as are all the senses and motor skills. As hearing fades, it is like listening through closed doors. And even though the sounds are brought low, in old age sleeping is difficult and you're up with the birds. Alternately, another interpretation is shut doors could refer to other blockages common to old age. Verse 5, they are also afraid, uh, sorry, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way or the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. The elderly are afraid of heights, afraid of falling, afraid of being jostled in a crowd in the street. The almond tree blossoms white like hair in old age. The grasshopper drags itself along, describing something that was once Swift and nimble. Once swift and nimble, the elderly suffer from bad joints, swollen ankles, and a halting walk. Even desire fades, which is an interesting paraphrase here of the Hebrew, which literally reads, the caperberry fails. So where, where we have desire fades, the literal Hebrew is the caperberry fails. Caperberry was a well-known aphrodisiac in this time. So it's like saying today, not even the little blue pill helps anymore. As health fails, we are heading towards our eternal home at varying speeds. It continues verses 6 and 7. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, the images of the silver cord, the golden bowl, the shattered pitcher, and the broken wheel all refer to valuable objects used in drawing water. This is a, a complex system to get the life-sustaining water that's needed, but when any one part fails, it, is, it deteriorates and shatters into the finality of death. You see how this can refer to any part of any one of us. There's this, all these important objects in drawing water so that we can have life, and if any one of them goes, we're gone. This is much like our bodies, right? We, there's a certain number of these organs that need to continue working for me to still be here. And so this is what's being described here. Man dies and decays back into dust under the curse of sin while the breath of life returns to God. In the end, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Again, I, I argue that this should say fleeting, fleeting. Everything is fleeting. It is all completely and thoroughly hevel. Ecclesiastes 12.8 gives the final assessment, which is the exact same as the first assessment in chapter 1, verse 2. Everything is vapor, smoke, a mist. So how do we live in light of this? 
One of God's purposes for humanity is to enjoy the good things He has graciously provided for our pleasure. And we ignore so many of these things that we end up thinking the exact opposite. Rather than realizing that we were created to enjoy God and enjoy His good gifts, we start to think that our created purpose must be misery and suffering. Not so, says Ecclesiastes. Look at the myriad of pleasures which are lost as humans live into our twilight years. Light is sweet. The sight of the sun a pleasure, granted by God to the rich and poor alike. The feeling of heat and wind and cold on our skin. The warmth of a blanket. The coolness of water. Imagine a life lived without the sound of fire crackling or to watch its dancing flame. Did you walk in here this morning on strong legs? Were you able to carry a small child who herself brings joy into your life? Sure, some of us lack a few of these even in our youth, but there are so many pleasures which we fail to discern in the ingratitude of sinful rebellion against God. Take a breath. Did you enjoy it? Imagine or remember a time when each breath was a painful struggle. Or even hold your breath for 10 seconds to quickly realize how wonderful it is to breathe. There are a million small pleasures we overlook each day, even for the elderly who are commanded to rejoice in all of their years. But even by contemplating the slow, interminable decline into old age, we are reminded that we have been granted all of what we have been granted to enjoy. See what the purpose of the poem here is? Enjoy the pleasures of your youth. And then it has a poem of someone losing, one by one, each of these pleasures. Ecclesiastes has taught us already that contemplating death is a means to enjoy life and a means to live wisely. When you contemplate death, you are better at enjoying life in the present. Life is better than death. I'm not saying that there's anything to fear in death for the believer whose hope is in Christ for resurrection to new life, but the statement stands, life is better than death. For those who remember their creator, there are pleasures of life far beyond its pain and suffering. It is better to be alive. New life in Christ is still life, so we're we're the intern time where we are dead is not better than being alive. It is better to be alive. This is what the Bible teaches us, not just in Ecclesiastes. For those who remember their Creator, there are pleasures of life far beyond everything that we could ever suffer. What Ecclesiastes teaches here flies in the face of the modern death cult, which believes that the dead are no worse off than the living, as in the case of abortion, or even that the dead are better off as in the case of suicide and assisted murder. We as Christians believe that life is better than death. We don't ascribe to the modern culture that says that death can be equal or even better for someone in certain cases. When you remember your Creator, trust in God fully and are satisfied in Him alone, you are freed to truly enjoy the life of pleasure He has designed us for. 
The young person gains wisdom by contemplating death so that they can live responsively to the goodness of God. This involves virtue, of course, but it also involves joy. God's commands are good in every sense of that word. They are righteous, they're they're moral, but they're also attractive and wonderful to live under. They maximize our pleasure. We also have a tendency, which is rebuked here, to think that we will really be able to enjoy life someday when everything is going just how we want. Ecclesiastes tells us that's not going to happen. The change in your circumstance isn't going to fix your joy. No, no amount of money, no relationship, no achievement will bring you the joy and satisfaction that can only be found in God. So we are commanded, church, seize the day for joy now. Remember your Creator and rejoice. Let's look at the conclusion to end here this morning. Beginning in verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Some people have tried to argue that the preacher tried hard to write what is true, but he did not succeed. But this is foolishness. Foolishness. Now here in the final assessment, these were upright words of truth. Jesus referred to the Hebrew Scriptures as the very Word of God, teaching us that every thought, action, or event recorded in the Bible are there by the express purposes of God. It's at this point that we usually turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. But Peter also wrote, 2 Peter 1.20-21, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the truth of Ecclesiastes is not merely the conclusions of a wise man, for it is given by one shepherd. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Remember, these have been the, the intertwined main themes of Ecclesiastes, delight and truth. Rejoice and fear God. Find joy in remembering your Creator. Then it says, verse 11, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. We're told here, wise words do not only bring pleasure and truth, they also bring pain. We need the pain of wisdom as it dispels illusions and confronts our folly. The mind is roused and spurred along, sometimes painfully, by wise instruction, like livestock moved along by a goad, or or today would be a cattle prod. We'd give them a shock instead of a poke. Like a goad, wise instruction prods to greater wisdom. And then like nails, it establishes good teaching firmly in our hearts. After speaking about the writings here, the remainder of the book is an exhortation to the readers. 
verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now, it's not saying don't study, but it's much learning does not always teach understanding. You could examine the complex issues handled in Ecclesiastes from many other different perspectives and end up with nothing but questions and novel theories. In 2 Timothy 3.7, Paul warns of a time when people will be always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And so Ecclesiastes is not presented here as a foundation for further study, a launch point for other books to be written, but as a foundation for living a wise and enjoyable life. We can stop here. We can trust in the Word of God. We don't have to come up with other theories for how to live life, other theories about what makes life valuable, other theories about how to to maximize our joy and fulfillment. Ecclesiastes has it all. It lays the foundation for us. And finally, it says, verses 13 to 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything that Ecclesiastes has taught up to this point, the sovereign freedom of God, the limitation of human wisdom, the fleeting nature of all earthly things, all of these lead to the ultimate instruction to fear God and obey His commands. Here is a twofold maxim for true joy now and for eternity in heaven. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is not the cowering fear of one who has been abandoned to a meaningless existence under the sun, but this is the reverential fear and submissiveness of one who has truly found reconciliation with his Creator. As Charles Bridges puts it, Here we walk with our Father, humbly, acceptably, securely, and looking at an offended God with terror, but at a reconciled God with reverential love. Reverential fear. All the gracious influences on the soul, cherished under the power of the Spirit, all flow out in godly fear towards Him. To keep God's commandments is is not this self-satisfied arrogance of religious presumption, but rather it is the deepest expression of humble acceptance of what it means to be human before God. Ecclesiastes ends by saying that even the secret things will be brought into judgment. I don't know about you, but I find that at first terrifying. And then as I think of the reconciliation with God, we are freely granted through Jesus Christ. That terrifying fear turns into reverential awe and heart-melting recognition of God's great love for us. We all, humanity, sought to become like God by disobeying Him. Instead, we lost the one thing that made us truly human. 
We have each fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ Jesus defeated sin and death on our behalf. He disabled the sting of old age and death and gave us even more to rejoice about instead. In Christ, we can experience true joy in every circumstance. And as we've seen in Ecclesiastes, and I hope we've taken to heart, we have seen how we can walk in joy. We walk in thanksgiving, taking advantage of everything God has graciously given us, and give Him praise. Let's pray together. God, that you would give us a book in your word devoted to teaching us how to enjoy life. It tells us so much about the character of our God. We thank you that throughout Scripture, wisdom is intertwined and used for the purpose of finding the greatest pleasure and enjoyment. What a privilege we have as human beings in general to be created for pleasure. Created for for the myriad, the, the millions and billions of various sensory pleasures and joys that we get to experience in relationship with one another and with you. And although through our sin we have introduced many problems and many pains, we look forward to being restored in all of the created goodness through the work of Jesus Christ. So as we come this morning, Father, to receive again and remember what Christ has done for us, I pray that you would maximize our joy as we fear you and obey your commands. Amen. Gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my
Still 